Last week, uh, Pastor Ron led us through a study on sanctification. And now in the order of salvation, we have already gone through uh, almost all of the ordo salutis or the order of salvation, beginning with effectual calling. We went through regeneration. We discussed conversion, justification, adoption, last week, sanctification, and now this morning we'll be discussing the last redemptive act in the order of salvation, which is the doctrine of glorification. This doctrine is significantly important because it deals with a stage in our salvation that is still yet to come. When we talk about uh, glorification, we're talking about a future event. Um, We are Uh, enjoying the benefits of our salvation even now there's still that one aspect that is still to come and this doctrine uh, is uh, where the hope of the Christian lies and in some sense it is the culmination or the final goal of our spiritual growth Uh, if you're a Christian you, you are growing in grace you're growing in faith And what the end looks like, what you're growing into, uh, is what we're going to be talking about, this uh, point of glorification. And uh, I want to explore that today, and I'll do it by dividing it into a few subjects um, that are within the subject of glorification. And you'll see on the handout, there's four that I put there. The first one is the resurrection and redemption of the body. Point number two is conformity to the holy character of Christ. Point number three is future glorification as a present encouragement. And point number four is the renewal of creation. Now all these points, these four points, are subtopics that make up this doctrine of glorification. And I'm sure there's more to talk about, but for today, this is is what we're going to talk about. So before I begin, though, I want to define my terms. What do I mean by glorification? Um, I also want to build my case from Scripture. So we're going to look at some verses uh, that uh, talk about glorification uh, before I deal with the sub-points in your uh, handout. Uh, in, in the Scriptures, the idea of glorification deals with the ultimate perfection of believers. The actual word, though, glorification, is not used in the Hebrew Old Testament or in the Greek New Testament. But the idea of glorification is conveyed by the Greek verb uh, doxazo. And you'll hear doxazo, you hear that word dox, and you think of doxology. Uh, and, and it is tied to that, right? We think of glory, and that's, that's where we see, okay, this is talking about some sort of glory or future glory that, that we've yet to obtain. And so that's how we get this concept or this theological development of the concept of glorification. Um, and, and, and when we see these, we can tie, it in, we can tie this concept into the whole um, progressive line of our salvation um, as the ultimate goal of our salvation. So even though the Old Testament rarely speaks on glorification, uh, at least explicitly, it does anticipate the theme to some extent. When you read the Old Testament, um, it, it seems that we're moving towards that grand event of glorification. Uh, for example, you see in Psalm 73, 24, 
It says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. So there's this idea that glory awaits. Another verse, Daniel 12.3, says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Right? Those who are wise, this is the result. Um, and, and then he goes on and says, And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There's this reward. There's this escalation of, of uh, sort of a stage, a final stage, where we will reap what we've sown. And with that said, that kind of covers just some uh, verses in the Old Testament that allude to this concept. In the New Testament, you'll probably find more uh, talks of glorification where the doctrine is more fuller, more richer in its development. And you'll see statements that are more explicit uh, in the New Testament that believers will be glorified. Uh, one of them is Romans 8, 17. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with him. So there's this, again, this uh, state in which we long to be in. Second Thessalonians 1.12 says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. You see that there's this participation of Christians in a final glory with Christ. Now, in, again, in the logical order of our salvation, we talked about effectual calling, justification, uh, sanctification. Now we're getting into glorification. The last redemptive act in this uh, concept of salvation is this aspect of glorification. This is the final goal. Uh, you see what it says here in Romans 8, 29 through 30. Uh, and this is often called the uh, golden chain of redemption. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, this is where we get to the last final stage, these he also glorified. We've received justification. We are continuously being sanctified, right, as we come together as the body of Christ. We're growing spiritually and we await for that final stage, which is the stage where we are finally glorified. Now, glorification is presented as the capstone of our salvation. John Murray, uh, who's actually the author of that famous book, uh, Redemption, Accomplished and Applied, uh, has a great line. I want to read a, a quote from his book. Uh, and, and he kind of summarizes this uh, idea of glorification. He says, and I quote, Glorification is the final phase of the application of redemption. It is that which brings to completion the process which begins in effectual calling. Now, if you remember our class on effectual calling, effectual calling was just that general call of the gospel being preached, whether it was done from a friend preaching the gospel to you, or it was done from the pulpit uh, by the pastor or the preacher that day, giving a general call of the gospel, but the uh, effectual call was when that 
uh, call was made effectual in your heart. And obviously it was done by the work of the Spirit. And that's the beginning of your new birth, right? The beginning of your salvation. And uh, John Murray says, uh, it is that which brings to completion the process which begins in effectual calling. Indeed, it is the completion of the whole process of redemption. For glorification means the attainment of the goal to which the elect of God were predestined in the eternal purpose of the Father. And it involves the consummation of the redemption secured and procured by the vicarious work of Christ, end quote. So what Murray is essentially saying is that glorification is the completion of our salvation. Um, and you'll, you'll see, and I'll get to it now, but I'll just, I'll just bring it up now. You'll see oftentimes uh, the, the scriptures say that we've already been glorified. It uses the term glorified in the past tense. In other words, it already happened. It is a reality for the Christian. It's a guarantee for the Christian. However, we haven't, it hasn't been fully realized. We haven't experienced glorification yet. All of us are Christ, uh, most of us are Christians, or hopefully all of us are Christians, excuse me. And uh, we still feel the weight of sin every day, right? We're not perfect, we're not perfected, but we are counted perfect. And so, uh, and obviously it was, it's by virtue of what Christ has done and how he has completed that work for us. But we await for this day when, when that reality comes to, comes to pass. Yes. Is it true that you continue to Yeah. Uh, some, actually, some theologians, yeah, I was going to say Edwards, some theologians would say so, and I would agree with that. Uh, and and the, the, from, from this point of uh, redemptive history, if you will, um, we, we see that point when we, uh, we have this, uh, this time where we see Christ for who he is, uh, unveiled, no sin uh, interrupting it, and we're transformed into this perfect state. But as creatures, uh, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, there is, in a sense, a constant growth in the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, and so I would say in that sense, we're constantly glorified. That's very exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. It means it doesn't get boring in heaven. It, it, you know, we don't just stay in this state and we say, well, I know everything there is to know. Uh, that's the end of of any kind of excitement. So, yeah, good good point that you brought up there. Um, and again, this is the hope of the Christian glorification, right? That one day he'll, um, he will arrive, us as Christians, we will arrive at this final state of glory. Um, so with that kind of as a background, as a foundation, um, let's look at point number one. And you'll see it in your handout. The point number one is the resurrection and redemption of the body. And you might be thinking, what does the resurrection and redemption of the body have to do with that final glorification state? And we'll, we'll talk about that. The Bible teaches that at death, the souls of believers go immediately into the presence of God and enjoy all the blessings of being with the Lord, right? This is what is often called the intermediate state. There is no such thing as uh, what, what some cults would say is like soul sleep, where your soul is not conscious. It's, it's, uh, you, you immediately go into the presence of the Lord. And I don't have time to go through every verse, but Philippians 1, 21 through 23, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Hebrews 12, 23, 
Revelations 6, uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, and also Revelation 14 through 13. All these verses talk about the immediate, uh, you know, being in the immediate presence of God right after you die. I think you were going to say so something. No purgatory. No purgatory. <laughs> no soul sleep. Yeah. You don't hang around your body when you die. You don't float around, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, Revelation, I, I said Revelation 6, 9 through 11, and I also said Revelation 14, verse 13, okay? And as, as wonderful as this intermediate state is, it's not the final goal of God's salvation. So contrary to popular belief, the goal of all of life is not to make it through the pearly gates and live on a cloud forever while playing your harp. That, that's not the goal of salvation, Right? You're up there playing your harp, wishing that you would have brought a magazine with you. Um, but in addition to this, we see in Scripture that God also, when it comes to uh, death and glorification, he also places emphasis on the body, physical body. Right? You'll see that a lot in Scripture when he talks about death and resurrection. Uh, there is an emphasis on, on your physical body. And this is important because this shows us that God is not doing away with his creation but rather he's renewing his creation, and this includes your bodies. In other words, our final destination will not be a bodiless existence. God will unite us to our bodies and renew them on the last day. Therefore, again, contrary to popular belief, you will not be glorified ghosts. Okay? You will have bodies. God created man as a union of body and soul, and our redemption includes the redemption of our body as well as our soul. Now, this full redemption will occur on the last day, and this is the day of glorification. Okay? You, you'll see in Romans 8, 23. Can someone read this passage? So, even though these are future events, believers now, in this moment, can experience, like I mentioned before, many blessings of salvation, right? For example, we're forgiven for our sins. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Uh, we are adopted in God's family. We have spiritual union with Christ, and the Holy Spirit is at work in our sanctification. However, believers do not yet have the full redemption of their bodies, and you see in that verse, that, that is part of that redemptive act, uh, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies right now are subject to aging. They're subject to many diseases and all kinds of physical problems. Uh, death, think about death, the last enemy hasn't been abolished. So even though we experience many benefits of redemption, uh, we, we have not yet or will not yet experience the overcoming of death. And you see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, where it says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this part of redemption is still pending, although it has been destroyed at the resurrection of Christ, right? It has, it, 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 the, the reality is when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he did defeat death. 
but this is that concept of the already and the not yet. He is the one of the first, he, he is the first of the new creation, and so he is experiencing this as a forerunner for us. Uh, in our union with Christ, it gives us that hope that because he resurrected, one day we too will resurrect. Uh, and because his body has been glorified, this gives us hope that on his day, the day that he chooses, that final day of glorification, we will experience what Jesus experienced. So in a sense, uh, it has been defeated, but it hasn't been fully realized by us, us uh, believers. Again, this is what we would call the already but not yet elements of the promises that are yet to be fully realized. Uh, Romans 8, 24 through 25, and I'm not going to put it up there, but I'll just talk about it. Uh, it mentions that believers have the sure hope of expectation of the full redemption of their bodies, but they are still waiting for that aspect of salvation to become a reality. Uh, Romans 8, 24 to 25 says, For in hope we have not, I'm sorry, in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So even now, believers wait eagerly for, for the redemption of their bodies and redemption that will take place at that glorification. And oftentimes, uh, I, you know, I feel that, you know, the pains in my back, and not, not to be so superficial, but the reality is that we do feel the, the, the effects of the fall, even in our body oftentimes, and we long for that day where God will restore our bodies to full glorification. You were going to say? What uh, version are you reading from? Uh... Let's see. I think this is a new King James. Is that what you have? No. Yours is the one that you okay. speak, but I like the rendition that you just came up Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, the redemption of the body could occur in one or two ways. And this is where you have to kind of pay close attention. For believers who die before Christ's coming, their souls enter into heaven but their bodies rest in the grave until the resurrection. At Christ's coming, their bodies will be resurrected and their souls will be reunited with their new glorified bodies. I want to show you uh, a verse here that speaks on these events, okay? It says here, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, here we see that believers who die before Christ's coming, their souls enter heaven but their bodies rest in the grave until that final day of resurrection. Uh, at Christ's coming, their bodies will be resurrected and their souls reunited uh, with new glorified bodies. Now, the second way the redemption of the body may occur 
is in an instant transformation of the body for believers who are alive at the time of Christ's second coming. So if Jesus comes tomorrow and we are not dead yet, there will be an instant transformation of our bodies in the twinkling of an eye. And we see this alluded in that same passage that I just read, where it mentions that those who are alive will not proceed those who have died. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54 states, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. This is what I'm talking about. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, uh, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So here you see that on that day when Christ returns, those who are dead, the grave will give them up. Right? The seas would give up the dead, as, as it says in, in uh, Revelation. The, day, the final day when Jesus comes back, the dead bodies will come back and they will be glorified. They will be changed. The bodies that are perishable will, be, will put on bodies that are imperishable. Right? That, that's the language that is used here. The mortal will put on immortality. And that, at that moment, we can all say that death is swallowed up in victory, as it says in the Scriptures. The believer that is alive when Christ comes will be instantly glorified if he hasn't died. Glorified bodies is, is like Christ's glorified human nature. That's how we're going to become. Uh, that, that's going to look like what Christ looks like in his glorified human nature. Um, a quick verse for that is Philippians 3, 20 through 21, where it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, he has even to subject all things to himself. So again, if you want to know what you're going to look like, it's going to be a lot like what Christ looks like in his glorified state, human nature. John Murray, another quote, from his book, Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. He says this, and I quote, It is the complete and final redemption of the whole person when in the integrity of body and spirit the people of God will be conformed to the image of the risen, exalted, and glorified Redeemer, when the very body of their humiliation will be conformed to the body of Christ's glory. And... Uh, I guess a, a good practical way to think on these things is just remember that Jesus is perfect, holy, sinless. Um, he is the second Adam. Think of all these themes that Jesus it fulfills in the New Testament, all of what was in the Old Testament. All these characteristics of, of uh, Jesus. Uh, and my favorite would be uh, the fact that he is the second Adam. He is... Um, he is where the first man failed. 
he is where he uh, is, is victorious, right? All, all the ways that Adam failed, Jesus Christ is victorious. And in that sense, you see even us who were in Adam, right? We're human beings, uh, seeds of Adam. All the ways that we fall short in our humanity. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the perfect man. Um, and even more in that glorified state that Jesus Christ is in. He's in this uh, permanent, not possible to sin state in which we will eventually partake in. When we become glorified, we will look just like that. And again, this is all in connection to Philippians 3.21. Here's another important point. It's important to note that all of God's people enter into this glorification together at the same time. Those who have died are resurrected and glorified at Christ's coming. Those who are alive at Christ's coming are glorified in the twinkling of an eye. Paul emphasizes this point in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. And, and John Murray in his book, again, he, he, he comments on this and he says this truth that glorification must wait for the resurrection of the body advises us that glorification is something upon which all the people of God will enter together at the same identical point in time. There's no priority for one above the other. In this respect, it radically differs from death and the glory with Christ upon which saints enter on that event, right? The intermediate state. It's very different from that. In the, the intermediate state, each saint of God who dies has his own appointed season and therefore his own time to depart with Christ, to, to depart to be with Christ. But we will see that this event, this final event of glorification, we see that this event is highly uh, not individualized. It's very together with the body of Christ. Glorification is not individualized. One will not have any advantage over the other. All together will be glorified with Christ on that very moment when Christ returns. And just, just to kind of back me up, you know, because I, I got to have some backup. Uh, these truths have been confessed by the church for centuries. You can find them in the Reformed Confessions. I don't have time to cite all of them, but feel free to Google them, look them up. Let's look at uh, point number two. Point number two is conformity to the holy character of Christ. And we spoke about it a little bit, but we're going to dig into it a little bit more. Uh, and this is also part of that glorification state. So again, besides the redemption of the body, glorification means that believers will be perfectly conformed to the holy character of their Savior, Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal of our sanctification, if you think about it, why are we growing in Christ? Why are we growing in maturity in our spiritual walk? To what are we growing into? Um, and it is the image of Christ. You see this in Romans 8.29. Can someone read that? Thank you. 
So this includes not only the redemption of the body, but also believers being changed and placed in a permanent state of righteousness. Uh, Hebrews 12.23 speaks of the spirits of believers in heaven before the resurrection being made perfect. And I want to show you that. Hebrews 12.23. It says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's, that's where we get this understanding that those of us who uh, enter into this glorified state, uh, we will experience this, right? The spirits of the righteous made perfect. We will be made perfect. So we see that in glorification, this state is intensified in that believers are made perfectly righteous as Christ is righteous in both body and spirit in a way that is permanent. Another verse is 1 John 3, 2. Can someone read that? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Yes. I love this verse. Uh, this verse speaks on the glorious truth that Although our justification was received by believing what we heard, we will one day receive our glorification by seeing the one that we have heard face to face. Okay, and, and it is in this vision that we will be transformed. Just imagine, the glory of Christ is so powerful that we will one day behold him and in that very moment we will be transformed. And this ties into that motif that we see in scripture, this concept, this theme in scripture, that you become what you worship ultimately, um, or you become like what you worship. Um, those, we see it in Psalm 115, where, uh, you know, the, the, the pagans became like what they worshiped, right? The idols who had no eyes to see, you know, no mouths to speak, no ears to hear, dumb, deaf, and blind, the, those who worship these idols became like them. Yet one day we will look at our Lord and Savior. We will worship Him. We will experience that um, face-to-face uh, beatific vision, if you will, um, of the glory of Christ. And in that very moment, we will be transformed like Him as well. And, I mean, I long for that day. Um, and and we're, it's funny. We're being transformed as we see Him in Scripture, as we experience Him in Scripture. We're moving in that direction, but in that one last day, we'll see him with no, no veil. We will see him with no uh, interruption of sin. And in that very moment, we'll be fully transformed. Uh, and that's going to be a glorious uh, moment. Let's look at point number three. Point number three is future glorification is a present encouragement. So how does this doctrine help us practically today? All right? I believe that this doctrine presents much encouragement to the believer, and I'll tell you how. We see, in, we see that Paul, in Romans 8, I'll show you up here, Romans 8, 18 through 22, but uh, Paul reminds the church at Rome of our future glorification, and he does it as a way to encourage us in our present trials, right? He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is this future glory that he speaks of. 
Now, think for a moment of all the things that man suffers with in this present age. Think about yourself. Think about all those things that you suffer with. It could be health. It could be, uh, it could be spiritual. It could be things like your struggle with sin, your struggle with pride, your struggle with uh, lust, um, with greed, or you know, all kinds of things that we struggle with. Think about yourself personally. Um, and all the, all the ways that, that we struggle. Think about death, for example. When God created man, uh, it was never with the goal of death and decay and sin existing in this world, but instead it was intended for life and flourishing and glory. And this is why the scriptures tells us that, uh, that uh, man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Glory was the end goal. And by the way, just for clarity, when I say glory or man not achieving glory, when I say glory, I don't mean self-vain glory. I mean glory that exalts God in the lives of his creatures and in the works of his creation. And we failed at that. We see Adam fail at that. And, and, and the purpose of creation was to, to enter into this glorified state where we would permanently um, live and be and act and do things that would honor God in a way that we um, would, would do it in a permanent state and not having that sort of sinful inclination. But we failed and, and we lost that. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And again, when Adam fell, creation was cursed to, de to death and decay. Yet in the age to come, right, death and decay will be no more. This curse will be reversed. The same goes for our trials and our current suffering. Again, just think about the things that you suffer with, the trials, uh, the sin struggles. One day we will arrive um, and, and that will be done away with. And so again, in the midst of our trials now and in our suffering, it's important to keep an eternal perspective and remember that the temporal trials and pains of this life can't even be compared to the future glory that awaits God's people. And uh, having an eternal perspective gives comfort during times of suffering. And, and I, I think this is what we see in, in, uh, in 1 Peter, where uh, Peter is, is constantly pointing his people, right? Pilgrims in this world, the church, who are here and we're passing through this world. He, he keeps pointing our hope to, to the end times, to the time where Christ will return and justice will be served, uh, and they will be placed in, in that state where they are glorified, and all the, all the wickedness and evil will be done away with. And again, this is the Christian hope. Uh, so again, it's very practical to think on these things, because it would help us when we, when we suffer, even in our present time. Now let's look at the last point, point number four, the renewal of creation. Uh, again, there, this is another aspect of redemption that goes along with our glorified bodies. Along with our glorified bodies, uh, there will be a renewal of all creation as well. And you can see this in uh, Romans 8, 18 through 22. Can someone read this passage? Of him subjected it in hope that the 
Thank you. This passage is profound. Um, how is it that creation is experiencing pains of childbirth? How is it that the creation uh, is eager and longing for the revealing of the sons of God? And by sons of God, we're talking about believers. How is creation longing? You think about the ground and you think about the trees, and you think about the mountains and all that is under the curse of God. How is it longing? Um, I, you know, you think about it, it's like, since when does uh, creation have sentiments? Uh, but this is an expression, and the expression that Paul is, is making here in Romans 8 is that creation was not in any sense intended to be ruled by wicked men. Creation was to be cultivated, was to be uh, managed by Adam, the original man, and his children, those who would come after him. It, it was to be taken care of. It was meant to be used for the glory of God. He was to go to the ends of the earth uh, and uh, point all things to the glory of God. And it was supposed to begin in the garden. We didn't go too far outside of the garden. We stood in the garden. In fact, uh, because of the fall, God ended up kicking him out of the garden. Uh, in other words, he was not able to do what he was mandated to do, even in the, the garden, right? He was trusted with the small before he was given the whole world. But the end goal was that the whole world would be subdued and submitted to the glory of God, and Adam failed. Oh yes, that's right. Sure. I mean, when he wrote this, he didn't say the present creation at the time he was living. Sure. And he did not address future. There is no time since the whole of creation. Therefore, all the beloved pets that we got killed or, or you know whatever, then we'll get to see them. Yes, thank you. Yes. So, like in Genesis, when it talks about the ground curse, mm -hmm. um, is this a supernatural cursing, or is it like, it says because of the pen you subjected it, is that yeah. just like doing a really bad job? Yeah, well, I mean, you do see in, in, the, in Genesis 3 where God does, at, at least it, it seems like he's explicitly cursing the ground in which man walks in. But, but I, think, I think the cursing is, uh, is a cursing that was meant to be experienced by man. Um, and it was for man's um, discomfort, right? You think about how the ground was cursed so that when man would labor, it would be hard to toil the ground. Um, so it, it's not that God got mad and he started cursing everything he saw. And he said, you know, tree, you'll get it too. And I'll curse the tree. <laughs> You know, it wasn't in that sense. Um, but the, the curse, I think, is... Uh, I'm sorry. The, the curse on man is central to the curse on all of creation. In other words, uh, when God curses creation, he's essentially cursing Adam and his charge over creation. And so, in a real way, and you see it throughout all of Scripture, that creation still does what it was intended to do, Right? It's only because of the curse on man that creation then becomes corrupt and chaotic. Um, but 
you know, you think about tornadoes and all kinds of different, different kinds of uh, uh, natural disasters. And it seems, as, as weird as this may be, it seems that these are all um, reactions, uh, judgments that are all centered around the cursing of man and not so much the cursing of the ground. What, what we get, though, in the new creation is that as God redeems his people um, and, and, and uh, recreates, how do I say it? No, renews is probably a better word. He doesn't recreate man, but he renews man. Uh, in that same process, creation is renewed at the same time. Um, I know it's not like a direct answer, uh, but because the, the Bible doesn't seem to directly answer it, but I honestly think that that's the case, that the ground is cursed because man is cursed, and, and that's, that's the reason why that, that is. Now, creation, it says here in Romans 8 that creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of man, or sons of God. What that's essentially saying is that the ground was not intended to be walked upon by uh, sinners. The trees and the creation was not intended to be ruled over by uh, wicked sinners. It was intended to be uh, a creation that was meant to glorify and honor God. So when it says that the earth is uh, groaning, it, it essentially means that the, the earth is not being used, it's not being expressed it's not living out what it was intended to live out, essentially. And when man is redeemed and the new heavens and the new earth enters in, we're being res the, the world and creation is being brought back to that um, intended purpose of what it was created to be. And even more, because again, this is a new heaven and a new earth. So God is not only bringing us back to the garden, but he's bringing us a better garden that's ruled by, that's ruled by Christ. Um, I saw a hand somewhere here. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right about the, the creation being cursed specifically. Yeah. Because of Adam, Genesis 3.17. Yeah. Uh, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Yes, amen. He goes on about that all. Excellent. Yeah, great verse. So as we think about the corruption, chaos, death that's experienced in the created order right now, Paul says that this is all due to man's fall into sin. And according to Romans 8, the creation will one day be set free from its slavery. And that's the, that's the type of language that it uses. It, it's enslaved by the rule of wicked men. And one day, the creation will be set free from its slavery to the, to the corruptions when God's people are one day glorified. And this is a day that we all hope for and long for. Again, just going back to John Murray, he says, um, it is a renewed cosmos, new heavens and new earth, that we must think of as the context of the believer's glory, a cosmos delivered from all the consequences of sin, in which there will be no more curse, but in which righteousness will have complete possession and undisturbed habitation. Man, I, I can't wait to that is real. Uh, Peter calls this the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see that in 2 Peter 3.13, where righteousness dwells. That's, that's amazing. 
And uh, this is a fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah 65, 17, and also Isaiah 66, 22, where a new heaven and a new earth are prophesied. Also in Revelation 21, 4, uh, you see the same thing, where John declares that in this new heaven and new earth, there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Uh, the first things have passed away. That's what it says in Revelation 21, 4. Uh, some scholars debate on whether the new creation and the new earth condition involves simply the renewal of the, of the present universe or a complete dis, uh, destruction followed by a recreation, ex nihilo. I'm personally convinced that it won't be a doing away of what he's created. I'm convinced that what he's actually doing is not saying, ah, I messed up with this world. Ah, I messed up with this. I'm just going to do a new one, ex nihilo. Ex nihilo is doing a new one out of nothing, right? Creating out of nothing. Uh, I'm just not convinced that God is just going to do away with the old uh, earth and say, oh, people, they, they, it didn't work out with people. I'm just going to make new kinds of people, like alien people, where they're perfect and righteous. And, a new, and, and it is, in a sense, new heaven and new earth. But the language in Scripture seems to allude that, that he's, uh, he's further clothing. He's remaking, renewing, the same way he, he, he's doing with our soul. He doesn't do away with our souls and give us a new soul. He, he, he renews it, makes it born again, and, and you know, yeah. Yes. Right. That's exciting. Yes, it's not like we're going back to the old, like, we had it good for a long time, then we messed it up, and he's just bringing us right back to, you know, what we already had. No, he's, he's making it new. It's, it's due. And, and, and it's new, and it's good because Jesus is king of, of this new creation, the second Adam and not the first Adam. So, good point, good point. Um, so again, I, I'm convinced that there is a renewal of his creation, but either way, as Christians, we all look forward to this new heaven and new earth where death and sin reigns no more, and our communion with Christ is uninterrupted with sin and temptation. We see from scripture that there is a real end goal to our salvation in Christ, all right? Its, pr its primary purpose isn't just free tickets to heaven, right? But rather the glory of God magnified in the glory that is to come to those who are in Christ. And this was, this, this was the idea from the garden, right? This was the purpose of the garden. He didn't create us to give us a bunch of tickets to heaven. He created us so that we would glorify him. And in our salvation... Uh, this, in, in some sense, magnifies the grace of God. It magnifies the glory of God. And this is the purpose of creation. And God will receive his glory in the resurrection of mankind, in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the redemption of our bodies. And the redemption of our bodies is uh, ultimately a glorified state in which man is transformed in a way that reflects the righteous character of Christ. This is what brings glory to God will one day be fully conformed into the image of Christ. And this serves as an encouragement, as I, as I just said, to believers as we read Romans 8.18, that the present sufferings are nothing to be compared to what is to come, the hope that we have in, in one day being glorified with Christ. Uh, and included in this future glorification is the renewal of all things, heaven and earth. And again, this is the Christian hope. This is... This is our hope. We long for this, this day to come. 
when people ask of our hope, uh, we point them to the future new heavens and the new earth that can only be attained uh, if you're in Christ. This is very exclusive. If you're not in Christ, you have no place in the new heavens and the new earth. You will reap exactly what you sow, and God will give you exactly what you've wanted. You never wanted God to begin with, and God will give you exactly that. A life without God, a life without uh, renewal, uh, a life without being fully human, a life uh, where you will, uh, where the the curse would be applied to you even further. That as Christians are moving towards new creation, uh, uh, renewal, You'll be, you'll be moving the opposite direction. God will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, knew you in the intimate sense. Depart, me, depart from me, for I never knew you. Uh, and he will remove all goodness from you, and, and that place is uh, hell for eternity. Yet the Christian hope that, it, that is that in him you become partakers of the new heavens and the new earth. Um, God is the source of life. God, Christ is the source of life. And your connection with him will guarantee uh, a participation of this, this glorification that we just spoke about. So uh, may we hope in this promise that awaits us in the future glory. And uh, yeah, that concludes the study for today. Uh, any, any questions or any comments on the topic? I'll go ahead and then I'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good question, good thoughts. I, I honestly have no idea what uh, the intermediate state is going to look like. It seems that the intermediate state, I mean, the only thing that we see in Scripture uh, talk about it is just verses that allude to the fact that, you know, once you die, you enter into the presence of God. Um, there's so many different ideas. Some people say, oh, it's it places you in a fast forward, like it fast forwards you to the day of glorification, so you actually don't experience anything. I, I don't know if I believe that. Um, I do believe there is a real time period where you will experience the presence of God in that intermediate state until the day of the Lord where he'll resurrect the bodies, that final day of glorification. So I have no idea what that experience looks like. Let me get two more and then I'll get you back there. Um, did you have something? Are you sure? Okay. All right. You're saying the mountains are worse than the garden? The mountains are worse than the garden? Yeah. I, I, I don't know where or when I said that. I don't remember saying the mountains are worse than the garden. Does anybody remember me saying that? The mountains are worse than the garden? No, you're saying that like, the ground was corrupted. And- oh, okay. You're saying because of the curse of the ground? Yeah. Yeah. So you're asking, what was your question again? Thinking that the mountains Yeah, no, no, no. What, what I was essentially saying is that creation is experiencing the curse. Uh, so after the garden, uh, we see in, in uh, Genesis 3, when God cursed man, the ground was cursed because of man. In other words, as man, as the curse 
creature living on, on this earth. Uh, the ground or the trees or all of creation was not liberated and living out what it was intended to live because the rule of creation was wicked men. And so the hope is that when men are glorified, when they come to that eternal state where they are renewed and sin is done away with, then creation is finally set free. I don't know if that kind of helps. Is that, okay, yeah. All right, no problem. Sorry for the confusion. I had one more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, when, when will... Uh, when will justice be served? Uh, yeah, when will you uh, avenge us? Yeah. You're right, there is sort of this intermediate experience there. Yeah. Good point. Any other questions or comments? I feel some. No? <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. Amen. I, I'm going to be honest. As I was going through it, I, I, I'm like, I don't think about this as much as I ought to. Uh, it is a sense of encouragement. It, it really puts things in priority, like, you know, our suffering, you know, in comparison to the glory that awaits us. Yeah. Thank you for that. Got time for one more. outside of uh, the created order, like in the intermediate state? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I know that God's presence is outside of time. The thing is, I, I think even in eternity, um, I, I'm not sure that time would be completely eliminated. Um, you know, I know time is, in a sense, bound to creation. It's not it's not a characteristic that's consistent with an eternal God. But I think that there will always be a creature-creator distinction, even after death, uh, even in the resurrection, even in the intermediate state. Um, and I think that's what separates us from, uh, you know, existing as an eternal being. Uh, and the experience that God has outside of time. I'm not quite sure that man will ever experience that, even in his glorified state even when we get to heaven. So um, I, it may seem like, well, if time is still part of our experience, even after death, that's going to be a long eternity. And that might be it. Uh, however, it's going to be a joyous eternity. We're not going to feel like, man, like hurry up eternity. Um, but, but I do believe that time will still be an experience that man, even in their glorified state, will experience. I mean, that's, that's what I get from Scripture. Um, I could be wrong, though. Yeah. I got to go. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for um, allowing us to talk on these things, Lord, this subject. And we're so humbled by this doctrine of glorification. 
you have not left us without any hope. You've promised your elect that one day we shall be changed as we gaze upon the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ face to face. Father, we long for that day to come. And until then, may we place our hope in this future glory, knowing that the present trials and sufferings are nothing to be compared to with what you have in store for those who love you. And Father, we thank you and, and we ask that we would live in light of this hope. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.